what is God saying to us this morning? What is God saying to us this morning? Have you got it yet? What do you think? Got some pouring out and filling up going at the front. Anything else anyone wants to add in? General consensus in the worship that that's what God was speaking to us this morning? Yeah, okay. It's your job, you know, on a Sunday morning to come and be part of what God's saying. You should be asking yourself as the worship happens, what is God speaking in the worship for me? What is he saying to us together as a church? That's a good practice to get into. So you should never get to a Sunday morning message without having some sense in the spirit about what it is that God is already saying and doing and preparing your hearts for. That's why we do it this way. We have worship first so we can get into the flow of the spirit. We can receive a sense of what he's saying. And then you have the word and we hope that those two things line up. praise God this morning they are lining up because I'm speaking to you this morning about sinks did or did not John Simmons bring a word to us this morning about a sink and I'm speaking to you about empty stone jars did or did not Lily bring a message to us this morning about being empty stone jars have you got it yet all right tell the person next to you bang have you got it yet have you got it yet have you got it yet I'm starting a new series this morning with you guys, and the new series is called Kiss. Kiss. One reason we called it Kiss is because we thought if we talked about kissing, you guys might pay attention a bit more. Uh, But Kiss is like this famous acronym, um, and it stands for Keep It Simple Saints. We're going saints. Ah, yeah, yeah. Keep it simple, saints. And we are moving into a time as a church where we are looking for God to do simple things in our lives, but for everlasting impact. And we're going to be going through the book of John and finding the simple things in there that Jesus does and says that can make a massive, massive difference um, to our lives following Jesus. Amen. So this morning we are looking at John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Uh, And I'm going to read it from the NIV, follow along on the screen. And it's called, Jesus Changes Water into Wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. Isn't that what Lily said this morning in her word, that God's got the best for us? God's got more for us. God's got something richer and better for us this morning and forever. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him and after this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples and there they stayed for a few days I love this miracle I might even go as far as to say it's my favorite miracle because this is a miracle for the minimalists I have decided and then Ben's told you a story before about how you know I have a bit of a fear of 
having too much. And this is a miracle all about not having enough, so I love it. And he's told you stories before about my aversion to clutter and how I threw the toaster away because it was cluttering at the side and we already had enough and that made toast and why did we need two implements that would do the same thing? That's me, that is true, I confess to that. I don't like having too much. So I love this miracle because it's all about having too little. It's kind of funny, but actually it's an uncomfortable place to run out of things. It can be mentally and emotionally draining to feel like we're always running out of things. And so when um, I was asked to speak on this topic this week, I should have known that I was going to be massively tested um, as the week progressed, because that's always the way. If you ever put your hat in the ring to preach, expect the worst week of your life um, in the week that happens before it. So thanks, Alison. I should have been more prepared for this, but we ran out of everything this week in my family home, like literally everything. I thought I'd be really clever and switch to this um, kind of automated online food delivery system where you like get, this, get food that comes on a recurring slot every week. Well, I completely ballsed it up. And the first day that I ordered it for Monday, it didn't arrive because I clicked the wrong date. So then I went online and tried to reorder it for the next date, and I got that wrong. So this week, we had absolutely no food. Twice running, I managed to fail to do a food shop, so we ran out of food. And um, Then both of my sons, who are 10 years apart, um, weren't sleeping this, at the beginning of this week. And I mean, I was up till 2 a.m. repeatedly at the start of this week with either one or the other of them just really struggling with sleep. So I ran out of sleep. Then the coffee machine broke and I ran out of caffeine. I know. There you go. You're alive. I talk about coffee and everyone's there. The caffeine ran out and therefore the energy ran out. And then, my, then Leah and myself, we had fevers and coughs and colds this week, so our health ran out. Um, I've got three children, right, so my time's always running out. Um, I even got to this, I managed to get one of the kids to, to a swimming lesson. I packed my bag with like all of the things that Halvard, my baby, would need for his dinner to eat while Stella was having her swimming lesson and the swimming stuff and the shampoo and the conditioner and the goggles and everything. And we get there, it's two minutes to the swimming lesson. We've rushed there after school. Stella's ready to get dressed into her swimming costume. The baby's put like rice cakes everywhere, all over the changing room, and I've forgotten to pack a swimming costume. I even ran out of a swimming costume this week. It's been that kind of week. And as a result, I'm like, I have run out of grace and patience also. Yay! <laughs> Look, I'm telling you all of this in case any of you think that I have my act together, because I categorically do not have my act together. Um, I'm not qualified to preach on this topic this morning, um, and I really am an audience of one this morning. I'm bringing this message to myself first and foremost. If any of you receive anything from what I say this morning, that it is proof that the Bible is real and alive and true, and what I'm speaking about this morning actually works. So I really hope um, that the Lord helps us hear something useful this morning um, and proves himself faithful to his own word. If anyone else this morning feels that they have nothing left to give or they have completely run out, then this is the miracle for you. Amen? Why do we pray? Because God knows I need it. Holy Spirit, would you come into our lives this morning and help us? I've got nothing to give, but you have everything to give. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've already stirred our hearts this morning in worship um, and in other people's um, hearts this week that I've heard about, Lord, you're speaking this to us. You're speaking to us a simple message this morning, a simple message of being filled with the Spirit in a new way, in an everlasting way. God, help us get it this morning and help us respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you're taking notes, which you should be taking notes, the first uh, kind of point, if you want to call it that this morning, is that Jesus responds when we run out. Jesus responds when we run out. Okay, so this miracle is often called the water into wine miracle. In fact, I'm pretty sure the NIV even headlines the paragraph with that. Yeah, it does. Jesus changes water 
into wine. But actually, as I reread this recently, I realized it should actually be called the Jesus Changes Nothing into Wine Miracle. I reckon that's what its name should be, the Jesus Changes Nothing into Wine Miracle. Because if you look at verses 6 and 7, the stone jars that hold the water that is then transformed into the wine begin empty. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. But Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. So the jars were empty to start with. There was no water. Jesus turned nothing into wine. He didn't just turn water into wine. The stone jars were empty. And when the, when the wine ran out at this wedding party, there really wasn't anything else. There wasn't a backup. There wasn't another supply of anything else. Everything was empty. And I was talking to a friend recently about how their Christmas went, and they were, they were telling me that their mum was just so keen to cater well and provide well for their family during the Christmas period that she not only filled her very big fridge freezer with you know, good food to eat, but she also hired in a spare fridge freezer to keep extra supplies in the house for the family. And... The same mother bought, for a Christmas present, a fridge for one of the children to keep at her house in their bedroom. So this mum was like all about the fridges. So if that family over Christmas had run out of anything during that, that Christmas party, I'm pretty sure they would have been able to find you know, spare supplies in fridge two or fridge three. There was a lot of backup happening um, in that family, but there was no backup at the wedding of Cana. You know, it wasn't like the wine ran out, oh, well, iron brew, or like, you know, oh, the wine ran out, oh, well, we'll bring in the Diet Coke. No one noticed the difference. It's kind of the same color. There wasn't anything else. You know, the stone jars were empty. And I think that's why this miracle is so, so powerful, because Jesus is showing us in this miracle that when we trust him, when we turn to him, when we look to him, we never need to be afraid of running out of anything. We never need to be afraid of running out of anything. You know, and I do think we're all worried about running out of something. It might not be as tangible as, you know, iron brew, but it is something that will matter to us. Like, we might be worried about running out of time. That's a big one I worry about. Or opportunities, or comfort, or money, or pleasure, energy, wisdom, compassion, Approval and acceptance, I think those are really big things that we worry about running out of. Or affection, maybe we worry that we're going to run out of affection. Um, or reputation, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, we're not going to get the kind of um, career that we want because our reputation is running out or whatever. We, we run out, we worry about running out of things quite a lot in our day-to-day lives. So just have a little think. I'm just going to give you a few moments to think. What is it that you are really fearful of running out of? What's the regular thing that you come back to being like, oh, I'm just worried we're not going to have enough? The thing that your mind tracks to in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. What is it that you are worried about running out of? And I'm not asking you to think about this to bring you down. Have you all figured it out? Yeah? I'm asking you this because when we realize what it is that we're worried about running out of, we can focus on the part of Jesus' character and nature that really speaks to that worry. And we can really get to grips with that part of Jesus' nature and part of his character that really overcomes that. And that is totally worth doing. 
like more than anything else. You know, if you're worried about running out of health, then you need to find all the bits in the Bible that you can that speak to God being a God that brings health to our bones and life to our bodies. And you've got to write them out and stick them up places. And that's where you've got to focus for the next, you know, this period of time where we're, we're stripping back our activity as a church, but giving you time to simply put the simple things right. You know, figure out what it is that you're fearful of running out of and find the solution in Christ. And I'm encouraged by this miracle that Jesus does understand that the human heart is afraid of emptiness. And he has come to set us free from that fear of running out. And I've kind of been thinking about that this week and in my own life especially. And I reckon that what often or so often does overcomplicate our lives are the things that we can kind of grasp at to mask or avoid that emptiness. Does that make any sense? I think if we strip back some of those things that we strive to do because we're trying to cover the fact that we're worried about running out of something or we're trying to keep something full that won't run out, I think if we strip some of those things back, we can actually get into a simpler lifestyle where we receive everything we need from Christ and we're not kind of running around all over the house trying to get it through posting a picture on Facebook and getting a load of likes or through um, having loads of food in the house so that people always come and want to visit us or our family are always happy or you know, some of the other things that we can take for granted that we think are normal things to do but actually when we drill down into them a little bit they're there masking a fear of, of running out of something and actually we can find that at the cross much quicker than we can at Aldi or whatever. True story. So I would really encourage us in this time as a church where we're looking to simplify and to sweetly and simply follow the Holy Spirit, I'd encourage us to embrace rather than avoid emptiness at this time of your life. This is a real time to embrace rather than avoid emptiness because it's in that place of emptiness that we really encounter Jesus and he's able to transform us from that empty thing, that nothing thing into everything we heard about in the worship this morning, that rich life, that blessed life, that life where we're connected to the spirit and he's at work in us and bringing um, his strength and energy and power and passion into our hearts. So, you know, I was thinking about this, like, what, what might that look like for you over the next few months? Well, it kind of depends on what you're worried about. But supposing you're kind of worried about feeling, you know, being alone at home or feeling empty alone at home. And so maybe you fill your life with, like, loads and loads of social engagement, social meetings and stuff to kind of make sure that you're not feeling empty and alone at home. Well, what would it look like this kind of next few months if you didn't do that? If you actually made an appointment like Pastor Caesar did all that time ago, it's not with friends, not with family, but with Jesus in your home alone and just said, actually, I'm going to be comfortable with being empty of friends and distraction and chatter tonight and I'm, I'm going to put myself before Jesus. Or, you know, what if it's about not staying those extra hours at work or not going in early to get more work done to impress your boss, but having a longer quiet time in the morning and spending more time with Jesus at home before you go into work and, and choosing to believe that connecting with Christ is going to make your day more successful than getting in an extra 45 minutes behind the desk. What about... Um, not turning on the TV the minute you get home or reading a book the minute you get home or whatever it is or playing a computer game whatever it is that you do to kind of drown out some of that background discomfort in your life or um, seek comfort and pleasure because you're uncomfortable inside or you're tired inside or you've got thoughts that you don't want to have inside and you just want to drown them out with distraction what about if you didn't do that and you just said actually I'm just going to sit here with my, with my own thoughts before the Lord and, and actually let myself be empty and let myself be quiet stop scrolling and and put myself in a place of emptiness to see what God can do with that. Instead, you know, we don't have to be afraid of being empty. We don't have to be afraid of being alone or even being quiet because Jesus is in those places and spaces. And it's, it's there that we really do encounter Christ at the deepest level of our fears and our needs and our worries. And that's where he can make the most difference. 
you know, I'd go even further than that probably and say, emptiness isn't something to be scared of, but it's something spiritual to seek out. Emptiness isn't something to be scared of, but it's something spiritual to really seek out. You know, in the very next chapter, in John chapter 3, the chapter after this, what does John say? He says, I, Jesus must become greater in my life, so I must become less. There needs to be an emptying out of me so that there can be more of Christ. You know, when we do, it's what we heard in the worship this morning. You know, when we empty our lives, our own agenda, Jesus is able to do more of the filling up. I think that's why fasting is so powerful. Like, let's put fasting, you know, make sure you do a period of fasting in this time of seeking simply the Spirit. Because fasting is so powerful because it does take us, puts us in the fear pit, doesn't it? Because we're so often, if we're afraid of running out, then of course we're going to be worried and anxious about running out of energy or food. Or, you know, don't, don't wait and do the fasting on a day when you're sat at home on a Saturday with no, nothing to do. Like, the, the power in fasting is getting through a normal, full, busy, go, go, go day, but through the power of the Spirit. You know, fasting forces us to face our fear of emptiness and find Jesus right there waiting for us when we run out. It focuses our minds on Christ, filling us up from a place of emptiness. So that's the first thing. Jesus responds to us when we run out. The second thing is that Jesus favors family and flow and fun. There you go. It's all the S if you like them in triplicate. Family and flow and fun. Jesus favors these things. I love that they're in this miracle. You know, it's really good to remember that this miracle is Jesus' first ever sign or miracle that he ever does on earth. This is the very first one. It's kind of, you know that expression that we have, um, put your best foot forward, or um, start as you mean to go on, or, you know, make a good first impression. You know what all of these sayings mean. They mean the way that you begin something often characterizes the kind of person that you're going to be, the kind of way that you're going to do things. I don't know if you've ever watched any of these, um, like, political TV dramas. Like, um, give me one. West Wing. Uh, what's the one with the, the 24 guy? Uh, that... Designated survivor. Yes, I think that's the one I was thinking about, actually, because there's like a whole episode given over to like where one of these candidates is going to launch their bid for their presidency or, you know, political candidates, when they're making a launch for some kind of leadership bid, they agonize over where the place is that they're going to launch this bid because they've got to find somewhere that is like impressive and has stature you know, big grand surroundings behind this. It's going to look good in the photographs. But it's also got to be human and speak to the, you know, the common man, the normal person. It can't alienate them. And, you know, it can't be, um, it needs to make sure that it's free from kind of like negative political or historical connotations. There's got to be, you know, lots of ethnicity and diversity and equality somehow in the kind of surroundings. It's hard. They spend hours thinking about where am I going to deliver my bid for leadership and what kind of message is the place that I choose to deliver that speech going to send? What's the message going to send? So, you know, think about it from Jesus' perspective. He is setting out his stall for launching into supernatural spiritual ministry. This is it. This is the beginning of an intense three years of supernatural ministry. You're thinking this, so where is he going to kind of launch this? Where is he going to set out his stall? You think probably maybe like, um, did they have hospitals in those days? Maybe somewhere where there's a lot of sick people because the message that would send is, you know, Jesus is here to heal the sick. Or maybe he'd um, pick, I don't know, like a library if they have such things because, you know, God's here to bring the true word back into people's lives again. Or um, like a synagogue, that would be obvious, the steps of a synagogue. God's here to reconnect, Jesus is here to reconnect us to God. Or maybe even like a nursery or childcare if they had those sorts of things. That would send the message that Jesus is here to, you know, inspire and invest in the next generation. Those places would all make sense for Jesus to begin 
begin his supernatural ministry and kind of set out a pattern that he's going to follow throughout his time on earth. But no, he chooses a family party, a big social community gathering. That is the place that Jesus begins his supernatural ministry. And even then, only because his mom told him to. So there you go. All supernatural ministry should come out of a place of obedience to your mothers. Let's tell our children that. I think it's a really significant message for us this morning that God's glory on earth was first revealed to a community of friends and family gathered together for a good time. That's cool, right? Now, you've got to remember, you know, there are no, this is it. This is the first miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. None of that had happened. Nobody knew what magical things God could do with like two lo- five loaves and two fishes. Nobody knew Jesus' abilities and the supernatural to multiply food or to heal. None of that was known yet. There was, you know, Jesus was not known for all of those, uh, those amazing miracles yet. This was the very first one. So it's safe to assume that Jesus was invited to this wedding, not as the backup party fridge. You know, he wasn't there in case things ran out. You know, Jesus could, oh, well, he, he could probably sort something out. We'll find a cracker and he can probably make a cake out of that. No, they didn't invite Jesus as the party fridge. They invited him for who he, for who he was, not what he could do. Like, Jesus was there because they're like, oh, nice guy. You know, he's part of the family. He's part of the community. He's one of our friends or he's a cousin or something. They invited Jesus to the wedding for who he was, not what he could do. And that's where his first miracle came out of that place. So it's really important for us at this time in our lives to go back to remembering who Jesus is and loving him and wanting to be with him for who he is, not what he can do for us in our lives. And that's what this miracle is about. It's about the abundant, compassionate heart of God because of who he is, not um, what he can do for us. He is not a party fridge. You know, that's a great first way to do a miracle. It shows us right from the beginning of Jesus' ministry of how God works in his way. It's about family, it's about friends, it's about relationships, it's about togetherness, it's about connection, it's about enjoyment, and it's about good times. And that really speaks to me because I'm a very high, I'm a high shape of doer. So I really, really need to hear that in my life. And I need permission at this time in our church family life together to get back into the good stuff and the family and the friends. And, and some of that stuff that we're used to doing, it's not, on the, it's not on the map for this next three months. And it gives us permission to really get back into those things that matter to Jesus so much. So that's the favoring family bit. So the flow bit. Where does the flow bit happen? Well, the flow, Jesus' favoring flow bit, that happens as the water is miraculously transformed into wine. I also think it's really special that Jesus' very first miracle involved kind of shielding the wedding party and the wedding couple from the just deep shame and embarrassment of kind of running out of provisions for their guests um, at the very start of their married life. You know, they were beginning their married life, their reputation in the community as a couple, and um, it could have been so embarrassing for them. And especially culturally, you know, these parties would often go on for days and days, and you would just keep bringing, keep bringing, keep bringing, keep keep feeding the guests, keep bringing drink for the guests, keep making sure they had a good time. These things would go on for a really long time. And if they had run out at the crucial moment, that would have been so, so shameful and embarrassing um, for them. I was trying to kind of think of a modern equivalent. Have you ever run out of petrol? Like, honest to God, the car has stopped, run out of petrol. Hands up. I see that hand too. Quite a few of you. Oh, thank God. It's not just me. Yep, you too. Okay. What was the overriding emotion that you had as your car just completely ran out of petrol? Shame. Embarrassment. Because we're not meant to run out of petrol. We're meant to be on top of our lives enough that we can kind of leave five minutes early to get petrol on our way to work. Or, you know, we've got, we're meant to have saved enough money in our wages or ever to buy petrol. People expect us to run 
our lives well enough to keep our car service, right? So my dad has this saying, I think I've shared this with you before, messy bedroom, messy mind. Have you heard that? Messy bedroom, messy mind. My dad used to say that when I was growing up to me all the time. It drove me crazy. I'm more determined to be messy. Um, <laughs> but then I married Ben, and that, that, it all changed. It was okay. I think kind of like, you know, empty, empty petrol tank equals like empty energy for life in general. That's my new little take on the situation. I think if we run out of petrol, it's because the rest of our lives are just like, imploding and we're so out of energy to cope with anything that we just completely you know run out of time or energy or focus or whatever to fill uh, the car so I remember um I ran out actually that is true because the only time I've ever run out of petrol was a couple years ago when I was doing full-time teacher training I had two small children who were one and three who I'd had to put into various childcare provisions um and I would kind of get up early, get them breakfast, get them dressed, get them this day, it was get them to nursery, and then I'd dash to school, scrape in by the bell, do the pastoral, teach lessons all day. The minute the bell went at half three, most teachers would stay behind and do a little bit of planning, but I, was, I felt so guilty that I'd abandoned my children again all day. They were so little, I'd rush off, pick them up from nursery, get home, tea, dinner, bath, bed, clear up the house. By that time, it was about kind of nine o'clock at night, and then I would sit down to do my planning, and I'd be up till two in the morning, because I was a very slow planner in those days, and I still am, because I never taught after that. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, I would go to bed at two, and then I'd get up at four, and the whole cycle would sort of start, or not four, five or six, and the whole cycle would start again. I was, right, just really drained, really low on everything. And um, on one of these days, I rushed to nursery, picked up Leo and Stella, put them back in the car, um, and it wouldn't start. And the petrol light was on, and I just knew that I had completely, completely run out of petrol this time. And I had to call my dad, and I was so embarrassed. The nursery was one street away from my house, and me being me, I was like, could I push it? <laughs> one street? Um, could I train Leo to, like, turn the wheel? I was like, no, I'm just going to have to swallow down the embarrassment and ring my dad, who, you know, Clive, Danger Emergency Harding, shows up with a, I don't know, yeah, a tank and a pipe and a pump and a, and a stern telling off, because it was my mum's car. I ran out of petrol in my mum's car, and apparently it's very bad to do that to the car. <sighs> my brother ran out of petrol once 20 metres away from the car petrol station. It was, it was really fun. Joy, you've definitely run out of petrol on Scottsford Bridge, haven't you? I'm sure I remember that. Outside the petrol. <laughs> She's like stretching, <laughs> stretching. <laughs> she pushed the car a metre towards the pump, and then... It's so funny, except it's not really very funny. <laughs> because so often the bottom of all of our fears of running out of things is just this like shame and embarrassment of like what are people going to think of me like just this deep shame of like people that respect me what are they going to think of me if they know that I've actually run out of grace this week what are, what are my parents going to think of me if they actually know that I've run out of money this month or you know what what are people going to think of me if they know that I've like shouted at my children and run out of like patience with them and like gotten really angry with my kids this week like what are people going to think of me if like I go to the prayer meeting and I'm just so tired and like low in the spirit that I haven't even got anything to pray out like what are people going to think of me and it's that embarrassment and that shame that comes on us when we think think people are going to judge us for running out but I'm so glad in this miracle that it shows us that it's okay to be empty this morning. You know, so if that's something you really need to hear from God to your own heart this morning, as I do, it's okay to feel empty. It's okay to feel empty. And if you've run out of anything for whatever reason, you know, Jesus doesn't judge you. He accepts us when we're at rock bottom or scraping the bottle of the barrel. And he offers us an incredible solution to that emptiness, and it's the Holy Spirit.
That's what this miracle is all about. Jesus saying, it's okay. I'm going to shield you from that embarrassment. I'm going to shield you from that shame. It's really okay. You don't need to worry that you're empty. Just need to be honest about it this morning, and I will give you the solution to that emptiness. And it is the power of the Holy Spirit. And this amazing wine that we read about, the best to last wine, it's often read as a symbol of the generous and abundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit on God's people after years and years of nothingness and waiting for the Messiah. And that same promise is available to us this morning, that generous, abundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which we heard about this morning in the worship over and over again. It's a really great time to remember this as we're looking to move into a season of simply following the Spirit in our city groups and in our clusters. So let's prioritize that. Let's prioritize being together as those clusters. And let's prioritize really receiving the abundant Spirit um, in those meetings. And let's make them fun and family as well. Like Jesus loves the fun and the family. Let's make them as fun and enjoyable being together as well. And the last thing um, in this miracle that encouraged me was that Jesus draws the miraculous out of the mundane. Jesus draws the miraculous out of the mundane. So let's get back to that bit in verse 6 or 7 where Jesus just very casually says, fill the jars with water. Quite casual, that, isn't it? You know, fill the jars with water, fill, fill my glass with water, fill the jars with water. But there's a couple of things about what he said there that really carry meaning for us this morning. And the first thing is that the jars that he's talking about filling were used for ceremonial hand washing, okay? So it's like a Jewish ritual that you would come into someone's house and, and you'd wash your hands or, or before you ate or after you ate. There's a lot of ritualistic hand washing, ceremonial hand washing going on. And these, these big jars would be used for that kind of dipping in and washing thing. Now, um, that could get grubby quite quickly, couldn't it, really? Like if you're dipping your hands in the sink. It's not like a sinks at home where you empty the plug hole every time after you've washed your hands and then the next person fills it up fresh. This was kind of a giant tank of water that everybody had to use for I don't know how long. So to ensure that bacteria didn't like leak and creak into the kind of the cracks in the stone jar and lurk there to poison the next person, uh, these ceremonial jars had to be made out of like one giant piece of stone. Um, in order to kind of prevent any of those kind of bacteria lurking in the cracks, I think, and maybe to maybe it represented something to the Jewish people about the completeness of God and his ability to cleanse us. I'm not really sure. I didn't have time to look into that. I have a small baby. Um, but there is something in that for us this morning because really these... These big jars were like massive sinks, like huge communal sinks. So it puts Jesus' request for, for these to be filled with water. And, and then he says, you know, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. I mean, the servants must have been a bit like, ew. You know, really? It's like taking, yes, yeah, scoop out of the sink and offering that to the master of the ceremony and saying, like, have a swig of that. I mean, who wants to have a swig of, you know, sink water? Not attractive. But what a great picture for our lives this morning. Because we can perhaps assume that we've got like nothing left to give. And yet, our grubby bathwater, our, you know, littlest, most rubbish prayer, or in dragging ourselves to a city group, or, you know, reaching out to share God's love with somebody, even when we feel like we're like barely in receipt of it ourselves, you know, that's enough for the Holy Spirit to transform into something majestic and rich and full in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think there's something in there as well. If, if there's something in your life that's become a bit ceremonial, a bit religious, a bit ritualistic about your relationship with Jesus, like he's here again to breathe fresh life into that and to transform what's a bit run-of-the-mill, ordinary, samey. He's here to take that and breathe fresh life into it again and turn it into something abundant and rich for you this morning. And then the second thing about the jars um, is that they were empty. 
which I've already mentioned, and that they were heavy. Okay, so I've got a picture of a man here who's going to helpfully give us a sense of scale. That's, isn't he lovely? Actually, Ben looked a bit like that when we first, first started dating. <laughs> Do you remember that hair? Second time we started dating, yeah. Uh, that is a 30-gallon drum to scale with this, this helpful young man here showing us what it is. So there were six of these between 20 and 30 gallons. So this is the top end of what one of those big stone. I mean, imagine that carved out of a piece of single stone. That is going to be, you know, really, really heavy. It's not like you can just kind of like drag that over to the tap and fill it up. There were no taps. There were no hose pipes either. So it's not like you can just run a hose into this and like fill it up with water. You know, this needed filling in an alternative method. So I've got no idea because the Bible doesn't tell us anything. This is just me like riffing off it. But the, basically, I think they probably had buckets. I'm assuming, wooden buckets, I'm guessing, or stone buckets. Maybe like five gallons is what I was thinking. So we've got two men here staggering towards this. So there they are, can you see them? That is a five-gallon bucket. Apparently there's some like adventure race that involves carrying a five-gallon bucket full of sand or oats or something. It's the Spartan race, it's called. Um, that's part of the, the obstacle. So that's why the guy's got a number on his head. He's, um, he's in this race. So that is a five-gallon bucket. It looks heavy. He looks like he's struggling with it. I think that's realistic. So imagine you were going to fill this barrel up with that bucket. You'd have to do it eight times to get this thing full. You'd have to have eight of those buckets to fill one of these 30-gallon jars. Now, I don't know how many servants there were, and I don't know where they got the water from. Was it a well? So was there additional kind of lowering, filling, dogging, tipping before it even got into that? bucket and then they had to stagger. I don't know where the well was. Was it down the end of the lane? Was it over the hills and far away? No idea. <laughs> Just couldn't tell you. But I can imagine it took a lot of time to fill those six stone jars with water to the brim, right? They were filled to the brim. And that whole time they were doing it, they had no idea what Jesus was capable of. Like, imagine if some random person just told you, oh, we've run out of wine. I know, why don't you go and like fill a lot of buckets up and just drag, you know, get sweaty and hot and run around. And, like, they didn't know what Jesus could do with this water. They had no idea. They were doing it completely, bl you know, blindly and in trust. I think that can speak to us about our own life sometimes, can't it? Quite often I think we can feel like, God, I know you've got something good for me on the horizon. I know you're going to do something great. And the meanwhile, I feel like I'm just... I, I don't know what your purposes are. They're not clear to me. But there's, there's purpose in that. You've got to trust Jesus. And we do know what he's capable of. These guys didn't. You know, miracles take time. And miracles are made up of a whole load of mundane motion behind the scenes beforehand, trudging and fetching and carrying and filling for those guys, just living a daily routine successfully for us. You know, um, Helen, can I tell a story about your WhatsApps? Great. So um, Helen set a goal for herself the last kind of year or so to like, be really faithful and consistent in her Bible reading. And she's been very, very good at it um, this year. She's had a great, great year as a result of it, I think you would say. She's accomplished a lot um, and really um, seen God move in her life in a lot of different ways. Christmas comes, everything goes a little bit haywire, doesn't it? So she was like, no, I need to get back on it um, and really make this happen in my life again at the start of the year. So she's been sending me most mornings little pictures of herself reading the Bible. Well, not normally herself. One time I got a really weird selfie. Um, 
but pictures of her Bible and, you know, a cup of tea and her breakfast. And um, she's just done that to, like, make sure that she's getting some of that mundane stuff into her life. You know, it's, it can be mundane to get up early in the morning before you go to work. And it can feel um, boring and onerous to set your alarm to get up early when it's cold and get your Bible out. But these are the things that are going to make our life successful. We've, got, we've really, really got to put in the time to get ourselves in a place where Jesus can work a miracle in our lives. You know, Pastor Caesar has this great quote. I'll say it again. God won't do for you what you can do for yourself. Why don't you say that to somebody next to you to fix it in your brain? God won't do for you what you can do for yourself. And what that means for us is that if we want to receive the miracle of all of the water in this barrel being transformed into a rich life in the spirit, we've got to put the work in, we've got to put the time in to fill it up with water in the first place. We've got to put time into getting ourselves and our lives ready for that miracle of deep spiritual abundant life. So a simple season for our church involves sorting out the simple stuff so that God can do the spiritual stuff. I'm going to sort out the simple stuff so that God can do the spiritual stuff. Um, An author of one of my favorite books, James Clear, um, says that we are only ever as successful as our systems. And um, I do think that's a real challenge for us today, especially because quite often I think we set up our systems to shield ourselves from the things that we're shameful or fearful about running out of. So I I call it the cling or fling mentality. Like imagine you're um, fearful of running out of money. I think maybe this is down to personality. But if you're fearful of running out of money, then your response to that can either be to kind of often, I'm not painting you all with this brush, but often I find people tend to cling to it and hoard it and obsess over it and count all the decimals and just really worry about it all stacking up and count it a lot and, you know, check their bank account all the time. And, um, or they can kind of do the opposite, which is kind of fling it about a bit to sort of disguise the fact that they're running out of money. Does that make sense? Like they might spend extravagantly because they're not prepared to face the fact that they might be running out of money and, they want to, and what they're, the reason they're afraid of running out of money is because they want to feel... Um, wealthy and prosperous. So if they spend money like they're wealthy and prosperous, then at least they'll feel like that and mask the fact that actually they're fearful of running out of money. It's kind of a cling or fling it. And Ben and I um, have had to tackle our finances quite severely in the past, and you can guess who's the clinger and who's the flinger. Clinger, flinger. Um, But we really had to um, combine our efforts to bring that system um, back towards having spiritual success. So we had faith verses all about our finances and God's heart towards us to provide for us. And, and the real life verse to us was about um, the children of the Lord never, um, the children of the righteous never have to beg for bread. And we would write these out and we put them up around the house and we had, um, this was back in our Newminster house. We wanted to move house at that point. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous house that I was desperate to live in and we weren't sure how to make the finances stack up and we were both pushing back into our cling or fling a little bit, I think. Um, But we put up all these faith pictures and we put up all these verses and at the same time we adopted a system, we've got an online banking app now that really helps us keep good financial account of where all of our money's going. Um, And that really, really helped us to get a system in place. We put the simple things right, and then God came in and do the spiritual stuff. So in order to win that house, I had to go and pray the blood of Jesus over it um, various times early in the morning as I was out going to various things. I'd sit outside and pray. We had to put lots of spiritual stuff in too, but God couldn't have done the spiritual part of that equation if we hadn't sorted out the simple stuff and put that right and gotten our system correct first. So I guess that's it really. Jesus is here today to set us free from the fear of running out and set us free from those behaviors that we can often adopt 
um, to distract us from those fears. You do not need to be controlled by clinging or flinging this morning. God can set you free from those behaviors and God can set you free from the fear underneath them. Antonia and I were talking the other day. It's so weird. Tony's like one of my longest friends who I value very, very dearly, and we rarely get time to talk together. So God knows why, but on one of these rare occasions, we were talking about washing our hands. Why? I don't know. We were talking about hand washing. Why? No idea. Anyway, she was telling me how, why were we talking about hand washing? I don't know. I was talking about hand gel, and I don't know. Anyway, Antonia is a doctor, and she was telling me um, that she has just decided that she's going to teach her children or has taught her children how to wash their hands really, really well, like a medical professional would, you know, all the way up to the wrists and between all the fingers and a bit of water, then you put the soap on and then you rinse it all off. And Because our children quite often encounter like really grubby toilet facilities in like parks or airports or, you know, wherever you're traveling, there's bound to be a really grubby toilet. But, um, you know, you look at them and you just go, oh God, children, don't touch anything. Um, but Tone's theory is that if she's taught her children how to wash their hands well, they'll be safe in any of those environments because that's the key thing that really kills off um, bacteria. And I was just remembering that as I was sort of preparing this message about the ceremonial hand washing in the jars. And um, that's not what keeps us safe in the spirit. It's not, it's not about following religious rules and regulations. That's not what keeps our lives safe in the hands of God and fills our lives abundantly with the spirit. It's learning to have a good system so that whenever we encounter those difficult scenarios, whenever our life is difficult, whenever our circumstances are a bit like, oh no, you know, we've got a good system to keep us close to Jesus. You know, we set good systems in our lives to make sure that we're up and we're reading our word and we're praying and we're going to a city group and we're establishing um, systems that can keep us close to Jesus. And the miracle of a rich and spiritual life happens when the mundane stacks up to support it. So if you feel like your life's a bit run-of-the-mill and mundane, this morning, like Jesus is here to breathe fresh life into that, but also he's here to help those things that can feel ordinary really stack up to create an abundant life in the spirit, amen? So why don't we respond? Why don't we stand for our response, actually? I think it'd be good to kind of get back to um, where we were this morning because God was already doing a work in people's hearts and minds before I had to open my mouth, praise the Lord. So I've asked the band to kind of play a song this morning that kind of captures that sense of what we've been talking about. Um, and it's going to focus our minds and our hearts. And I'm not actually going to kind of lead you through any kind of prayers this morning, but I am going to encourage you to like kind of go a bit old school, find a bit of space around the hall where it's just you and God, you're not distracted. If you want, you can stay in your seats also, but feel free to use the space to find somewhere that you're not distracted um, so that you can empty out before Jesus this morning, like Lily was encouraging us earlier, that you can empty out before the Lord and encounter Jesus. You know, it's great to be empty before Jesus because that is the place that he can work his best miracles. So we can empty out before him what we're scared of. We can talk to him about the behaviors that we think are controlling us as a result of that fear. We can ask him for freedom from those things. We can ask him for freedom from shame this morning, any shame that we feel attached to running out or having to maintain a particular kind of perspective, like people have got to think that we've got all of this going on in our lives. If we haven't, that's okay. There's no shame in that at all. And God can set us free from that this morning. He doesn't judge us. You know, we can talk to him this morning. Let me say that again. God categorically is not judging you this morning especially not about any of those things um, that we've been talking about, that clinging or that flinging or your fears. So why don't you find some space this morning, just spend the duration of this song, asking God to come and minister to your life, to refresh you in the spirit with joy and strength and energy for your daily life and a a renewal of your heart towards him this morning um, and a freedom from some of those fears and things. Is that okay? 
Do you want to find some space? Are you all just happy in your seats like that? I can kind of see people thinking, oh, a bit of space might be nice. Yeah, got some wandering going on? Great. Find a space that you actually feel you can encounter Jesus because these opportunities are so special and they're so precious and there's an anointing here this morning for God to do this stuff this morning. You know, there's an anointing here in the Spirit for this stuff to actually happen and to make a difference to our daily lives in Jesus this morning because we heard it in the worship. God is already stirring us and doing it this morning. So I'm just going to pray for us once and then you can sing along with the song um, if you want to, but I'd really encourage you to speak with Jesus this morning. So God, thank you that you have something so specific for us as a church family this morning to hear. And we pray that we would simply respond to you this morning. Lord, we open up our hearts before you this morning and our minds and our lives. And we say, God, we bring our fears before you this morning. We pray for supernatural freedom to transform what we're feeling empty of into an rich and abundant life in the spirit. Lord, we pray that you would refresh every heart this morning, God, that there'd be a, an abundance and an overflow in the spirit in our lives as we move into this season together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Come, will you meet me here again? 
All I want is all you are. 